Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Capital Link. Um, what a great day. Good morning to all of you. Welcome to Athens. Welcome to Posidonia. Welcome to Capital Link. And I hope you will all have a very, very productive week. Um, I'm absolutely honoured and delighted to be here after such a long time of digital appearances and interaction. So it's great to see so, so many of you here. I'm absolutely delighted and honoured to be moderating a great panel today of such distinguished ship owners and maritime professionals. This discussion is going to be about something that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure. It's going to be about the shipping cycle, essentially, but with a twist. And that twist is what has been caused more recently by COVID, the post-COVID situation, but also um, the war in Ukraine. At Stevenson Harwood, we're very invested in the cycle. We're very focused on the cycle. We know its twists and turns very well. We have been doing this for years. Transport and shipping in particular is at the core of what we do. More recently, we have revamped our strategy um, and this now focuses even more on transport and shipping. And today I'm actually delighted and I need to say a very big thank you to our CEO who has joined to showcase this even more and to support us. So thank you very much, Effian, for being here. Um, we're particularly proud, very proud and honoured to be provided, to be rewarded with our clients' most significant, most complicated, most exciting work. And that puts us in prime position um, to be able to say that we are with them, we are with you, in shipping all the way. And it is the way that I want to spend the next 40 minutes or so discussing here with our ship owners and maritime professionals and what that actually means in today's volatile market. Can we still speak of a cycle or are we talking now more about volatility, peaks and troughs? So without more delay, please allow me to welcome on the panel, uh, or in alphabetical order, I think I'll do it, uh, Mr. Fragiskos Kanelakis, Director of Pantheon Tankers, Mr. Mark O'Neill, President, Columbia Ship Manager, uh, Ship Management, sorry, Mark, and President, Intermanager. Um, going down the list, Mrs. Mini Panagiotidis. Have you got Mini? Yeah, hi, Mini, good morning. CEO of Pavimar. Mr. George Pateras, Deputy Chairman, Conships Management and President of the Hellenic Chamber of Shipping. Um, Mr. Ted Patrone, Vice Chairman of Navios Group. And last, but definitely not least, Mr. Aristides Peter, CEO, Euroseas and Eurodry. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I think while we're preparing for this, we just thought that the, the best place to start is, is really uh, to describe a little bit about what, um, what our panelists here have been seeing more recently in the COVID, post-COVID era, what the impact has been and what they're expecting to see in their respective sectors, um, both performance-wise but also development-wise. So I think if I can start with you, Aristide, and ask you, what do you think has been the highlights of this period and, and where are we heading? Sure, thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's nice to see so many people here so early in the morning. It's amazing. It's not too many Greeks, but still. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, uh, it, it's been, it's been uh, four, times, four years since we've met all here, and uh, things have happened, and uh, many things have happened, and uh, it's good that we are able to see each other again. Um, on the shipping side, we've been through a terrible trough. Immediately as the pandemic happened, everybody thought that uh, that would be 
disastrous for shipping. Uh, we were starting, starting to make uh, plans of how to survive. And then uh, gradually, as, uh, as things uh, passed, uh, we realized, firstly, on the container sector, that uh, oh, people are starting to use stuff that they didn't use uh, when, when we were not locked down. And uh, so many goods need to be shipped. And start, uh, suddenly, we, we saw a uh, up in uh, demand, a significant pickup in demand, and the container market started to improve, and it went through the roof, as you all know. And similarly, dry bulk followed uh, at a later stage, improving as well. And uh, lately, as we know, the tanker market is, is doing well. So disastrous things for, for, for the world, I have to say, the pandemic, uh, now the war, but uh, it's been very good for shipping. They, they always said that, uh, you know, disasters and wars and things like that are good for shipping. But uh, uh, it didn't feel like that at the beginning, but it has been. So I'll, I'll stop here for somebody else to, to say something. Sure. No, thanks. It would be interesting to hear, perhaps, from one of the other sectors whether that is something that carries across, or whether there is a differentiation um, sector-wise or otherwise. Ted? Good morning. Uh, ah, red line. Perfect. Mm. Well, Navios partners uh, were in all three segments, so I'll just give a quick overview of how we see things. First of all, there's a food and energy crisis in the world, right? Started with COVID. This war has brought it to a head. Um, we have food is our energy, right? Energy for the humans. And then we need energy for our cities and then to power us. Most of the clean products that go over the water, 75% is for transportation. And we have some supply issues coming forward. Um, I would say, uh, in our opinion, obvious containers have been affected probably the least because of the war, this unfortunate war. Um, on the dry side, well, on, let's say on the wet side, our calculations are that it's obviously, as we've said, uh, it's good for shipping. So 4.5% increased ton miles for crude, 3.5% product. On the dry side, we have some coal and, and wheat issues, obviously, coming out of the Black Sea. But, you know, port, COVID has caused inefficiencies in the fleet, port congestion. We've had, we own 150 vessels. We had crew issues to deal with. We revamped our whole program to make sure our crews were kept safe, they were kept informed. And it's really changed the way we thought about shipping. And I think it's changing all of our ways in terms of how we manage our ships and how we supply the world the food and the energy we, that we need. So it's a real crisis we have here. And we're on the verge, I think, of having some real uh, supply issues on the food. And obviously, we're the, uh, you know, if, if, if the world is the body, we're the, we're the blood vessels and veins that keep it going. So it's an interesting time to be in. We're happy to help the world survive. We're on the verge, you know, just in time inventory is over and everybody's building up their inventories and not taking away from forward consumption. Um, so just in time inventory is over and now it's, we need more inventory, um, as we said before, good for shipping. Ismaili, you wanted to add something on that, I think? Yes, uh, good morning from me as well. Uh, it's a pleasure to see everyone back here in this room. I think it's a full house. Uh, Nicholas has uh, had a successful event to begin with again. 
Um, what I would like to add, and I know, Dora, you wanted to go a little bit uh, on a sector-by-sector -sector basis, but what Ted touched upon just briefly now is something that has influenced all sectors, and I think it's really important to point out. Uh, the last couple of years, of course, due to COVID, I think the number one uh, uh, factor that we have all felt is the crew crisis. And we shouldn't forget about these people who have been on board our ships and who are the core of our industries and how much they have suffered and how much difficulties they have gone through. And let's not forget the first year they were stuck on our ships for over 14, 15, even sometimes 20 months because there was no country who was willing to make us, to have us do any crew changes. So we owe a lot to those people. And uh, what we in our company have focused a lot is how to try to try and ease all these uh, difficulties. And we have taken a decision that seafarer is above all because uh, they are on the high seas. Uh, they have families back home who ha they need to support. So uh, the, the number one crisis that we have been dealing with over the last couple of years is the crew crisis. Now, even with a war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, about, let's not forget that about 10% of the, the world seafarers are Russians, about 4% are Ukrainians. So uh, supply of seafarers is going to be decreasing even further. And the crew crisis is not going to stop, it's going to be even more deepened. So we should have this in mind. And uh, here in Greece, uh, I know uh, Greeks have been making a lot of efforts to help towards the, the enhancement and uh, development of Greek seafarers in order to help this uh, problem. But uh, it's something that we should definitely keep in mind and it's something that is not going to be changing even despite the fact that COVID might be easing uh, from now on. <coughs> Thank you, Smaini. Now, I know George um, will have quite a few things to say about this. I know he's very keen on touching upon these issues on, on the civilian side as well. Uh, good morning and welcome everybody to Greece and to Posidonia. Thank you, Nico and Olga, for this. Uh, they're always very exciting and um, meetings here at um, Capital Link. If you don't mind, I'm going to answer it in my institution, with my institutional hat on as the chairman of the Hellenic Chamber of Shipping, because I see it from, there's also another angle, it's this disruption of trade caused by COVID, also caused another very serious issue, which was the total lack of diplomacy. You can't really be a diplomat in two dimensions. Uh, diplomacy happens in the corridors of power and not on a screen. So this has seen an increase in sanctions, because the only solution we have, rather than sitting down and talking about it over a coffee, is let's put a new sanction. So we've had a huge increase in the amount of sanctions we have around the world, which for me is, is getting more and more serious because they're very difficult to keep track of changing sanctions from three or four different lists of what you can and cannot do. But let's not lose track of reality with the current disruption, which is just in Ukraine. We have 86 ships trapped in the Ukraine, in the Ukraine 14 of which happen to be Greek. I know that the 13 of them are insured by the Hellenic, and they're facing a $425 million claim if the ships aren't released. But the whole of Lloyd's will suffer a $3 to $4 billion claim if these 80 ships are not released and kept on, keep on being detained. 
the airline industry will face a further 15 to 16 billion dollars for the 500 odd aircraft which are being detained illegally in Russia. So Lloyd's is going to suffer tremendously from this. This is another disruption in trade because our, our premiums will all go up to cover this massive loss. But with reality, we've now got the Ukrainian ports closed. 50% of the European and North African fertilizer comes out of the Ukraine. So crops next year are going to be a disaster, local crops. So we're going to rely more on other people's grain yet again. 24% of grain feeds Europe out of the Ukraine. We're not going to have that grain. We can't get it out. I just came back from a meeting in Brussels where they're trying to see if we can move the grain by train and truck. But believe it or not, you have to change seven railway gauges to get it to the UK. Seven railway gauges across Europe. We can't even coordinate to have the same railway gauge out of the Ukraine. So that's kind of, sort of impossible. Not forgetting that to put something on a truck has about 107 grams per ton mile of CO2, whereas a ship has three grams per ton mile. So pollution-wise, that's gone out of the window. All we've gained over the last four years where we've decided to reopen all our coal-fired and lignite power stations have all gone out of the window. But in closing, my one last st statement. The prime example of the last of diplomacy is the state finance piracy of the Iranian National Guard, Revolution Guard, seizing two Greek ships in Iran. This is something the entire shipping, worldwide shipping community should stand up and protest about. We cannot have state finance piracy anywhere in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, George. Um, I was going to talk insurance, but I think because you mentioned sanctions and because it obviously cuts through, pretty much everything that we do on a daily basis. Um, Mark, what's happening with sanctions? How are they impacting the management side in particular? I mean, we know it changes pretty much every day, but how does that, what does that translate into in practice? Thanks, Dora, and thanks to uh, Capital Inc. for inviting me and, and all of us. It's great to be back in, in this sort of social uh, occasion again. I was very happy going into my suit wardrobe for the first time for, for three years and pulling out a suit in its cover. Little did I realize it was my Al Capone suit. Um, so I sit here very embarrassed in a, in a suit that is uh, way out of date, but there you go. Um, look, the landscape has changed hugely. We'll come to, to sanctions in a, in a minute, but I think COVID uh, and the war in Ukraine have been huge catalysts for change. And uh, we've seen this on the digital side. Uh, we've also seen this on the organizational side. And I think there's a real risk uh, if this industry doesn't wake up and see it that the, uh, the days of the shipping bubble uh, are limited and that we will be absorbed into the wider logistical chain. We're seeing some of the big shipping companies, the big liner companies acquiring airlines, acquiring railways, uh, uh, acquiring terminals they are probably a harbinger for what faces us all. And I think uh, COVID and the war has taught us that there is this need for scalability. Um, I think there is this need for tailored, focused corporate muscle. And uh, frankly, in the future, with all of the uncertainties that lie ahead of us, I think the small niche operator, uh, however attractive those niches might be, perhaps 
uh, are numbered unless we, as a shipping industry, uh, get our act together and work together on for such things as digitalization, as training, uh, investment, uh, etc. I would take up also uh, Ismini's comment about crewing. I think uh, to attract seafarers, seafarers, male and female, uh, into this industry is going to become increasingly difficult um, when seafarers, as Ismini said, uh, were, were stuck on board vessels sometimes for you know, 14 months plus uh, and there is no real prospect in sight of the days of going on shore leave uh, remain a, a distant memory to uh, to many of these seafarers. As far as sanctions are concerned, look, we, we have to deal. This comes back to the scalability point again. All of us as organizations have to deal with it. I think we've become a lot more sophisticated, uh, uh, a lot more um, able to check sanctions at every stage of our operations. But it's this facilitation that is sometimes overlooked. It's not just the... Uh, providing a vessel to a sanctioned entity, it's also facilitating a breach of sanctions, which the lawyers in the audience will, will well appreciate, and I appreciate from my previous uh, time. So we at Columbia have a very sophisticated sanctions checking uh, system in place um, that looks at uh, all aspects of the maritime adventure that is contemplated and will advise our clients. But of course, sanctions compliance is a, a responsibility of, of the clients themselves. So. Yes, I think that uh, sanctions is something that we clearly have to always worry about. Thank you, Mark. And from the owner's perspective, perhaps Fragisco, this is something I know that we discussed a little bit in advance of here. Um, how do you deal with it? What does it actually mean yes. operationally for you from the owner's side? Uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me here. Um, I wish you all ha have a great time here in Posidonia. Um, before talking about a little bit about sanctions, uh, I would like to say that indeed th these were very eventful years for shipping. Uh, um, there are a lot of fundamental changes in our business. Um, inf inflation is here to stay, first of all. The war in Ukraine will further increase and prolong the inflation pressures created by COVID. Uh, COVID created significant supply disruptions leading to commodity price increases, higher shipping costs and significant delays in the supply chain. Um, fundamental changes in our business are basically the mainly politically driven. The economical and political consequences of the conflict could potentially reshape global shipping trade and supply chain in both energy and other commodities for the years to come. Sanctions will lead to new trade routes across the world. So we look at sanctions a little bit mm. as an opportunity. Um, Therefore, shifting trading patterns uh, and rising tone miles. We have new trade routes in all sectors, dry, wet, and gas. Um, another fundamental change in our business is that the difficulties that countries have gone through has accelerated the shift towards ener energy transition. This is naturally a fundamental shift, both in terms of trade, more minor bulk, less coal, more LNG, and in terms of new bunkering solutions biofuels, ammonia, methanol, and LNG. Actually, the war in Ukraine has possibly reshaped the LNG carrier landscape mm. forever. Um, when trade routes are determined by politically and not commercial reasons, by political and not commercial reasons, it is usually good for shipping. For example, India importing crude from Russia, refining and exporting back to Europe, is a politically driven trade route, not commercially driven, 
and this is promoting tone miles. Uh, we had many challenges during the last couple of years. The most important, uh, I think, is mainly mentioned, um, was about uh, the crew crisis. COVID had raised immense difficulties for our crew. Crew, ha crew had to show tremendous de determination to support shipping during the pandemic, and they need to be praised for that. Um, I don't want to mention details and how crew managers have a myriad of parameters to consider, which are also constantly changing when it comes to crew changes. Shortage of seafarers, uh, and now the gap is increasing further because Ukrainian and Russian seafarers represent about 15% of total uh, shipping workforce. Uh, the difficulty of attending our vessels from our fleet managers and superintendents deteriorated the quality of monitoring our ships. And of course, the financial implications of inflation, which were significant for shipping companies, bankers, loops, chemicals, paints, all uh, went much higher, dry dock costs, finance costs, because loans are linked to LIBOR rates, and even victualing costs because of the Ukrainian conflict. Going to, going to sanctions, I would like to say that uh, shipping is here to serve the world with a difficult task of transporting necessary goods wherever needed. Sanctions need to be always be respected, and we believe that predominantly ship owners do respect uh, sanctions. Truth is that sanctions do complicate our business since we need to be increasingly diligent on the counterparts we do business with, and, the, and this requires serious work and alertness. Um, you need basically to establish a legal department. Uh, when you have a lot of contracts, uh, some contracts need to be reviewed, some are cancelled. Sometimes this creates disputes between charters and owners. Uh, and this is even more complicated and complex because, for example, in a voyage, many, many parties are involved. The charter, the supplier of the cargo, the shipper, the receivers, the port owner and operator, the, the bank supplier, the agents. Um, we, he we, have, we hear now news that um, uh, new sanctions are going to be announced soon. Um, basically about parcel banning on the import of seaborne crude oil petroleum products originating from Russia into the EU by the end of 22. Uh, this should, will have an immense impact, I think, in our markets. Uh, also maritime insurance ban the EU also intends to import, impose a ban on EU insurers providing coverage for vessels carrying out shipments from, from Russia. These are some examples mm -hmm. that we will have to deal with in the coming months. In the coming months. Thank you, Frederico. So we've heard, we started with a very positive outlook in terms of how the markets are doing. We have gone a bit doom and gloom with what is happening because of COVID. Um, perhaps we go a bit more doom and gloom with insurance before we turn into something more positive. Um, maybe George, um, in, in sort of using one or both of your hats, uh, would you like to speak a little bit about what we've been seeing in insurance, um, well, even last week, really, and, and what kind of impact we're having there? Thank you. Um, you probably all know that when the, um, when the war broke out, there was this panic when Lloyd's uh, reinsurance market decided that they could not cover any voyage to Russia. 
which basically trapped vessels that were already there in Russian ports. And this was because of the new wording after the UK left the European Union and the Treasury rewrote the legislation on reinsurance and whether you could or could not insure something involved in Russia or a sanctioned nation. Um, this panic led over the weekend straight after uh, the war broke out and sanctions were imposed on Russia. Thankfully, the Treasury, realizing that the wording was rather awkward because it then had knock-on effect on every additional premium area, and they gave a waiver rather than rewrite the law. They gave an instant waiver, which released the market on the Monday morning, and vessels could trade. If we look at it on a humanitarian point of view, Russia is at war with the Ukraine. The Russian people are not to blame, so they cannot suffer. They must be allowed at least food. They must be allowed certain wares so that they can get on with their lives. Um, you cannot blame the people for the decision of their leaders. So we, we, there is, I can understand sanctions, but uh, they are disrupting our trade, but they, they are designed to put pressure on the leadership. That does not mean they're putting pressure on the people so that they can survive. Regrettably, or thankfully, I don't know which way, it depends what hat you're wearing, there are ways around sanction. I'll give you a very small example. No product over 300 euros is allowed to be directly traded to, um, to Russia. So a Louis Vuitton skirt will leave Paris and go to Shanghai, and then from Shanghai will go to Moscow. Uh, will cost an extra 300. So over 5,000 euros to pay an extra 300, I don't think any oligarch's wife will really worry about the additional price. It just adds 10 miles, as Francisco said, to our business. So that's, I, that's being a little bit facetious. But the advantage that the Greeks, I believe, have is we have a, a panache for the management of change. We are able to manage change, and that's what we are involved in doing. The Greeks don't pass on. That's how we've done it over generations. We don't pass on our companies to the entitled. We pass it on to the worthy. And that's why we have this flexibility and the small, agile Greek shipping company is able to keep up with change. This is also reflected in our insurance because we're basically talking about war insurance and we're not talking about uh, normal hollow machinery or P&I insurance. As you know, the vessels that are trapped in the Ukraine today, the 86 vessels, are being charged 2% for five days, uh, which is basically by the time you reach the 365 days that you get your total loss, you paid the ship over more than the value of the ship itself. So leaving the underwriter in a very comfortable position. The Hellenic charge is $1. I'm not doing an advertising campaign, but it's a different uh, part of the policy, the way it works. Because during the detention, you get back your additional premium. Um, visits to Russian ports, especially in the Black Sea, are at 1% for seven days, up to 2% for five days. Very expensive, but the charges are prepared to pay it because taking commodities to and from Russian ports are very financially beneficial, so they're prepared to pay it. But what have the Russians done to overcome this additional expense? They now deliver cargoes to Poti. So you get a much reduced additional premium going to Poti, and then they just truck everything up to Novorossiysk. As Francisco very rightly says, new trade routes are being discovered. If we all, the older ones amongst us who will remember when Thatcher came to power in the UK, the railway service went on strike for almost a year. So buses and coaches were introduced to English transport. They're still around. Uh, so we're going to invent new trade routes which will be more beneficial and they will stay. Thank you.
Thank you, George. Um, I heard you Aristide speaking very recently about resilience, and I think I kept that word because I think a lot of about what we're discussing today um, is really a story of resilience and how we navigate to be resilient um, and to find more opportunities. So what kind of opportunities are you expecting? Where are you heading to? Sure. Well, uh, the world is not becoming, I wouldn't say becoming more complicated. It always was complicated and it always felt like that. But it's definitely moving in a much faster speed. Things happen so much faster. We, we can all envisage that in 30 years' time, let's say by 250, uh, we will have uh, automated ships requiring very little crew on board, uh, run by a management company, uh, which will be situated uh, comfortably uh, at an office somewhere. Probably, somebody said, it, it will not belong, the management company, then to, to, to the traditional shipping company. It will be part of a conglomerate, or maybe not, who knows. But uh, we envisage uh, ships will uh, not burn the conventional fuels. We know the end game. We can, we can think, we can feel where the end game will be in 250. But uh, these 25 years to get us there are going to be terribly hectic. Uh, they are going to be extremely cyclical, extremely volatile. Uh, politics, uh, as said by the other panelists, is, is really what is shaping the business today. It's, it's not commercial factors. Nobody can, can, can even understand how how the politics will affect the commercial issues. Uh, so it's uh, extremely difficult to, to, to plan ahead uh, for, for the future. We all know that we have to embrace what's happening. We have to uh, embrace ESG. We have to uh, improve uh, and work for the improvement of the environment. But we know that we must not do it too quickly because then we will have uh, ex uh, extreme costs associated with it, so we have to do it somehow, man somehow managed, and we are seeing it now with the energy crisis. You know, people are going back to coal and lignite and all the other forms of energy. It's, it, it's a mess yeah, overall. It's very difficult to, to say what to do. But one thing that we know in shipping, and we have seen over the centuries, that you have to do is you have to be resilient. You have to not take uh, extreme uh, decisions. You have to have strong balance sheets in your companies. And you have to have open eyes and be willing to adapt. So I'm afraid I can't offer much, uh, much advice or guidance on, on how things will reach the end, the end game. Uh, it will be turbulent. and. Uh, the only secret that I can say is, you know, have a strong balance sheet. Don't be too adventurous. Uh, and follow what's happening in the world. Try to adapt. And yes, somebody said it. I think the Greeks are very good in adapting. Uh, let's hope we continue to do so. Doric, can I just add yes, to, please, I, I think I, I agree totally with what uh, Aristides said there. I think there's a need to be nimble going forward. And I think the days of uh, uh, medium and long-term planning 
uh, are over. You really have to uh, take this industry uh, day by day, and that makes investment decisions uh, very, very difficult, irrespective of uh, pandemics or, or, or wars. I think there is a need for dynamic leadership. I talked about scalability. Well, scalability sometimes comes at the expense of dynamic leadership. The small niche operator is sometimes more dynamic, but the scalable organizations have to adopt and, and learn that. Uh, there's a need to be uh, adaptive. There is a need to be proactive. The uncertainties have become much more uncertain. Donald Rumsfeld's unknowns, have the unknown unknowns have become even more uh, unknown. And the maritime adventure that I learned uh, when I was a lawyer studying all those cases, all of the cases described the shipping industry as the maritime adventure just became a whole lot more adventurous. So I think I agree totally with what Aristides is saying. Um, it's a time for nimbleness. Ted, that was coming your way anyway, so yeah. Thank you, Dora. Mm. Thank you. Well, even the scalable companies like someone like Navius, 150 vessels, uh, you know, we took the COVID time to reimagine shipping and we put all three segments yeah. under one umbrella. So we've smoothed out our risk profile. We've brought ourselves cross-segment opportunities because there's a negative correlation between wet and dry, and there's only a 30% correlation between containers and dry bulk. So we, we, feel, we feel this platform is the right platform for these uncertain geopolitical times. Um, we're very excited to go forward. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, we've got great leadership. We, ESG, certainly asked many years before it was fashionable to be that in the world today. And we've got uh, a, a great chairwoman, and uh, we have a, a great leadership team, and I think you have to be nimble. This is a revolution going. There's only been two revolutions in shipping in 200 years, right? We think there's been revolutions. There's always evolution. We went from sail to steam, and then we went to containers. Everything else is economies of scale. And so there really hasn't been change, and change has been forced upon us as an industry. Um, this whole, listen, we put, there's two things we haven't even, I think inflation was mentioned before. But things that will change the industry going forward, which we're adapting to, is the IMO regulations, right, coming forward. Since World War II, we as an industry, whether it's containers or dry or tankers or the latest LNG, we've always overbuilt in times of good times. This time, we're probably being saved from ourselves by a fiat of the IMO telling us you have to change how you push the ship through the water. LNG is only 30% less pollutant than, than what we're pushing the ship through the water today. You're going to need a double leap in technology to get to ammonia. I mean, you need bigger tanks. There's a whole bunch of issues. But I do think um, it's going to come. But in the meantime, the, the big, uh, I would say, you know, white elephant in the room is this fleet will have to slow down next year. The older ships will be scrapped. In dry and wet, you have a very low order book and a very large phase-out possibility, probably the most in 20 years. So times are good for shipping. I think inflation is also mentioned on the panel. We haven't seen inflation since the 80s. I've been around since then. I saw a lot of small New York Greek owners fix ships for 10 years without inflation adjustments, and they went bankrupt when inflation was running at 18% a year. And I do think the shorts, the grain houses, the receivers of raw materials are going to step up. I, they're already discussing with us about long-term deals because they need the certainty of vessels in the future. They're taking their 5% portfolio approach of long-term deals, and they're going to stretch it to 15 or 20% because they're afraid inflation will be running. Is it here to stay? We're not sure. It looks like that to a certain extent. 
So we have to be flexible, and we can be, you know, a large corporation and be flexible if we have the, the right leadership. Great, thanks, Tadis Mini. Thank you, Dora. Um, I think what we can all agree on is that the fundamentals have changed. I remember getting into this industry. Uh, we all were talking about the famous crystal ball that we all wished we had, where the major element would be supply and demand. So the supply of ships, the demand coming out of China, especially for us concerned in, in, in dry, the dry bulk industry. But now this crystal ball, we have to add a lot of new elements that, that you know, we, we'd never really imagined. The pandemic, first of all, and then all these geopolitical situations that have been taking place in the world, which who no one could predict, no one could imagine. So it comes back to what we, you initially said, resilience, adaptation for sure. And the ship owners, I think, need to read more about politics than the actual fundamentals of our industries. Fantastic. We're coming out of the reading list at the end of this as well. Great. Um, now, um, I think I've saved what I think is the best for last, but I'm a finance lawyer, so I'm a little bit biased. Uh, so in the last few minutes before we open to the floor for any questions, what are we seeing in finance? Um, how is the finance uh, area moving and developing? Um, what does it mean to be going out there and, and requiring loans or not requiring loans? What kind of terms are we seeing and where are we heading? Aristide? The finance was, uh, was quite abandoned uh, up till uh, the pandemic. Um, and uh, even during the pandemic, I would say, um, for, for the bigger companies at least. It was abandoned for smaller companies as well, but it was more expensive. Um, the very low interest rate environment was uh, very helpful in achieving uh, very cheap loans, I would say. Uh, even the expensive ones uh, seem cheap today, of course, the way that uh, interest rates are going. Um, what I've seen during the last couple of years is, uh, and I admit I don't like it that much, is that uh, finance has shifted from being provided from the Western world to being provided uh, from the Far East. Uh, we, we see today even, even uh, traditional Western banks that uh, have always been supported the supporting the industry, we, we see them uh, acting as brokers, essentially, for the Chinese conglomerates or the Japanese or the Koreans. Uh, so we see this uh, shifting uh, globally in the finance market as well. Uh, as Ismini said, we have to follow politics and geopolitics. It plays a very, very important role. It plays that also on finance. Uh, still and always, I think, uh, for good projects uh, and safe projects, there will be finance available. I'm not too worried about that. Uh, but the sources are going to be mainly from the Far East. And of course, uh, with the, the inflation happening, it will become much more expensive, uh, which means that uh, the, the owners should be, you know, very careful in in how they 
finance themselves, uh, overfinancing at a high cost might be detrimental for the business at the end of the day. So, again, as, as I said before, we have to be very cautious uh, and careful in, in what to do. These are times of huge turbulence and uh, we will see it everywhere, the finance including. Thank you. Was there anybody else who wanted to perhaps have a different view or say that they agree? I don't know. Does it work differently for different sectors, you think? Ted, maybe you see different products. Is that, is that something that plays a huge role in terms of the mix of the products that you, you can get and that are available? Sorry, I was asking Ted, but George as well, doesn't matter. <laughs> having unfortunately been around, oh, sorry, mm -hmm. just to just say, having been around for a long time, I feel that responsible finance is also essential mm -hmm. for growth. And we've seen over the years too many times, because shipping is good and lucrative, let's throw money at shipping. And I think this irresponsibility has caused, has been part of a lot of the slumps that we've seen. We, so we need definitely responsible financing. I agree completely with Aristide, we're seeing it uh, coming from different parts of the world. We've got to get, for example, the UK back into shipping because they were responsible finances. And now it's interesting that we've put green financing. It's, I think it's time that they took part of the expense that we must all look to the environment. It's not just us that look to the environment. Every sector of shipping, the charters, the suppliers, the shippers, even the bankers must be responsible for the environment. Thank you. Thank you. The sources of money have changed. You're absolutely right. I just many people don't know the name here, but it's a famous expression of a 1930s bank robber, Willie Horton. They said, "Why do you rob banks?" He said, "That's where the money is." Um, we go to where the sourcing of money is. I think you're absolutely right, George. Um, 2013 and 14, a lot of private equity came in because it was money was technically free, and they swamped the order book one more time, and it just took us another five years to to eat through that uh, availability of ships. And I think now that there's a cost of the money, you're seeing um, part of the slowdown in order book, obviously, is the IMO, but also because money is expensive. If you look at the pricing of uh, ships and steel today, it's very high. I think we're in a good position uh, to keep out the excess money going forward. And it's now the regular shipping world that's refinancing mm -hmm. instead of newcomers coming in trying to play the game that they don't understand. Great, thank you. Anybody else wanted to add the closing remark before perhaps working the... Um the microphone to the floor and to see if there are any questions. Nicholas, with two and a half minutes to spare, it must be, it must be a world record. <laughs> yeah, please, Francisco, please, thank uh, you. Uh, I would like to say that during a recent discussion I had with a shipping finance executive from a major bank, we were, we were told that it's the first time in his career that he sleeps well at night, because even though they have now like 50% of the clients they, they used to have, the remaining are very strong and quality owners who have survived during turbulent times. And given that he believes that shipping markets will perform well in the years to come, he feels very relaxed after a long time because they have a very robust loans portfolio. Actually, he said that shipping is one of the best sectors for banks to be now. Um, I would like to say that uh, in the almost, let's say, post-COVID era, bank financing has seen a modest recovery and in particular to Greek ship owners, offering favorable risk-reward opportunities for the financial institutions. Finally, a true challenge going forward for both ship owners and lenders will be the emissions target and the challenges to be generated 
which coincide with the post-COVID era and the ongoing war in, in Ukraine. Thank you. May, may I just add one thing which I forgot to say, uh, because we are in Greece here, and, and uh, I, I wanted to say that the Greek banking system has been assisting shipping tremendously over the last few years. So they, uh, they have, I think, uh, continue to do relationship uh, business and uh, been supporting the Greek shipping industry. And, you know, we have to thank them for that. It's, I think, a win-win for everybody because everybody's doing well these days. Yes, I would like to, to add on that, that I totally agree um, with Aristides. And I think we should definitely applaud uh, the Greek uh, banking sector for that because they have also gone through a different set of crises just beforehand and the fact that they have been able to uh, support shipping and be there for us uh, it's I think very significant and very much noteworthy. I'm not sure if we have any Greek bankers in the house but I'm, su I'm sure. Uh -huh. I'm sure. <laughs> thank you Smin, thank you very much. Nicholas do you want to, um, will, it, will we take any questions or? Yeah, well, it's 0 0.01, so, and it has going up now, so I think there's question, one, time for one question, maybe, if there's anything. Sure, it is going up, so there's clearly... <laughs> okay, I think we're done. <laughs> Thank you very much for everything. Thank you. Mm. Mm.